We had our own roadmap, and then we had things that customers wanted, and we would only implement things that were on, on our roadmap anyway. So in other words, we continue to be extremely opinionated. And right now, by the way, it's giving us massive benefits because Teleport is just so far ahead versus computing solutions because it doesn't use any secrets, any passwords anywhere. But in the early days, it was not obvious. I think at some point, like one of Google teams reached out to us. They wanted us to support public-private keys for authentication. And believe it or not, we said no. We had like almost no revenue at the time and Google is calling and they want to purchase your product. And we said no. My name is Ev Kontsevoy. I'm CEO and founder of Teleport. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today how Ev Kontsevoy built the easiest, most secure way to access and connect to your cloud infrastructure. All this and more on Code Story. Ev Kansavoy wanted to be an engineer when he grew up, and this was directly influenced by his engineering parents. When he was younger, computers were relatively uncool still, but as they grew in popularity, he started to explore how to make computers do what he wanted them to do, specifically to interact with hardware. He recalls burning up a monitor once because he was tinkering with changing the refresh rate. Eventually, he got into infrastructure so he could serve engineers and stay close to the hardware. Fun fact about him, Ev enjoys to watch computers boot. Wow. Outside of tech, he likes to tinker with photography, but not digitally. He likes the old cameras where you have to develop the pictures yourself. Prior to his current venture, he created Mailgun, one of the top transactional email platforms out there which he eventually sold to Rackspace. During his time scaling Mailgun and working for Rackspace, he started to feel the pain of logging into multiple cloud services, so much so that he decided to consolidate these connections into a single platform. This is the creation story of Teleport. Teleport, it's the easiest way to access securely all of your computing infrastructure. SSH for servers, so if you need to access Kubernetes clusters or various databases like MongoDB, MySQL, Postgres, even Windows desktops, which is RDP protocol. So it's basically a remote access solution that speaks all of these protocols. And just as I described what Teleport is, I think it should be pretty obvious like why it was built, because all of us... Uh, scaling Mailgun and then being at Rackspace and interacting with people who are major users of cloud computing because I was uh, trying to understand being at Rackspace. I was trying to understand why would some someone use Azure? Why would some use, someone use Rackspace? It was number one pain point that people were always complaining about because we have this technology stacks, like the computing environments that we deploy into. And, there are re- and those are getting taller and taller because we as an industry, we keep building new technologies and we never make anything obsolete. So every single layer, they all have remote access. They all listen and network. They all have their own login, authentication, authorization. They have their own audit logs. So if you want to do computing securely, you have to have expertise on your team, how to set up remote access to all of these technologies. Or... This is download, put teleport in, and teleport is a single proxy, single endpoint, single login into all of these layers. 
So Teleport is adopted by NASDAQ, by IBM, Sumo Logic. We have lots and lots of really, really cool logos. And the inspiration for Teleport obviously was because we needed it ourselves. As our previous company, uh, uh, Mailgun, grew, and then we launched another product called Gravity, which was the Kubernetes-based thing, like we just realized that there needs to be a single way to accessing all of your infrastructure. And we realized that there needs to be a technology. Let's call it Access Plane. The Access Plane is a single way of accessing everything you have. And there is this uh, futuristic part of me that also welcomes this development. Because if we think about evolution of computing, let's say you work at Twilio, or like pick any tech company, Twilio, Snowflake, uh, Airbnb, whatever. So you join Airbnb, and then you, so your job is to write programs, computer programs. But what are these programs running on? Back in the day, like way back, 30, 40 years ago, those programs would run on a machine. There was a single machine. And to put your program into that machine, you would access that machine. You would use like you know, a keyboard, a mouse, whatever. So you would like get into that box, put your program in there, it would run. There would be like one-to-one interaction between you and the machine. But now all these machines, they're scattered all over. They are in multiple data centers across different cloud providers, Amazon East, Amazon West, availability zones. And it's not just machines that we're interacting. We're interacting with databases, CICD tooling. There's just a lot of these different technologies. And we, as an industry, we're now starting to realize that things are just too complex. The complexity, the distributed nature of it all, they're slowing us down. So now I think that we as an industry need to start to simplify things. So if you join, let's say Airbnb, we're going to use this uh, as an example. And you should think that I am going to program Airbnb computer. And that Airbnb computer just happens to consist of cloud environments, servers, Kubernetes clusters, whatever it is that Airbnb is using. But having this interface that makes it feel that it's a single machine would be nice, don't you think? We want everyone to feel that they are interacting with a single machine. So it, it has the context that knows who you are and the fact that it consists of thousands of SSH servers or Kubernetes clusters, databases, and so on and so forth, it doesn't matter. From a practical perspective, it's probably the best open source implementation of SSH, RDP, and all these database protocols for accessing them remotely. Tell me about the MVP. Tell me how long it took you to build and what sort of tools you use to bring it to life. Teleport originally, as I said, it started as an internal project. So we were working on a different technology at the time. We wanted to figure out how we can make Kubernetes cluster exist in a single file and how you can take that single executable file and put it on any infrastructure anywhere in the world. The idea was, how do we make Kubernetes clusters extremely portable so you could have exact same system that you can capture in a single file and then have a full replica on AWS on in many different environments. A completely different project. We were working on that technology and we needed something that will give us absolutely secure access to any place in the world, even if that place is not even on the same network. And we needed to be convenient and we also needed to have extremely solid security compliance guarantees because at the time we were dreaming about selling that technology to like Air Force, for example, as a customer. 
the idea of teleport was born that we felt that the traditional way of doing ssh for example is to like set up a jump host or a bastion in one place and open some network ports and then basically start figuring out how to rotate ssh keys and you have some kind of secure vault for those keys it's the usual stuff that most companies use and none of that scaled for this use case right so if you have thousands and thousands of locations all over like there could be firewalls with they, they're not even like you don't have any open ports so you cannot really get into that so we, we couldn't distribute our kubernetes payload into those locations so the idea of teleport was born as a it's almost like a let's encrypt for private enterprise so you have this uh, single access point and into that access point you would have this reverse tunnels from all of these different locations and that access point and those tunnels, that would be identity aware. So you would go through SSO, whatever you use, Active Directory, Okta, GitHub, Google Apps, like in your organization. And that would give you access to any computing device like in the world, even if it's a flying drone. And the MVP was coded by our CTO, Sasha, in literally a weekend, because he recognized very early that we as an industry need to move away from all forms of shared credentials, secrets, passwords, all of that is just not gonna scale. It's gonna get obsolete. And Teleport was built as, it's probably the only SSH implementation. And at the time it only could do SSH. It's 100% based on certificates. It does like there is no other way to configure it, which made certificate-based experience first class. It's actually easier to use Teleport with certs than to use OpenSSH with public-private keys. So not only it's basically better technology, but also easier to use. So he built Teleport, what felt to me was a single weekend, the, the prototype. And he even managed to pack a lot of things into it that on the surface make no sense. For, for example, we thought, like we knew that there are some, some use cases where like two people could get into the same machine at the same time and you could enforce things like one of them needs to watch what the other one is doing. Like some banks, they called it like 4i policy. So we've had this idea of shared sessions where multiple people are in the same session on the same box. And then we figured, why don't we have chat for it? <laughs> so we added chats. Can you imagine like SSH having built-in chat? All of this was just for internal use, probably similar to the story of Slack. But then we quickly realized that no, like we, like chat is just that's a bad idea to have chat in a security solution. We also quickly realized that these days you have to have some kind of web UI. So the second part of the MVP was to add a web UI. And again, just kind of curious fact, I really wanted the UI to look very global because I wanted to show it to some early investors because we were thinking about raising seed stage and asking them, Sasha, can you put like a world map as a first uh, <laughs> UI screen you see when you open Teleport in a browser just to show like this is the map of the world and this is where your Teleport locations are. It's amazing how quickly you could build something valuable if you have a very clear idea why someone would want this. So you've got your MVP done really quickly. Sasha nailed it, crushed it really quickly, added in stuff that you needed or didn't need, but it was really cool that it was there. How did you progress it from that point, right? How did you decide, how did you build your roadmap and decide, okay, this is the next most important thing to build? So once again, scratching your own itch is a really powerful uh, way of building products because remember, in the early days, we were the only users of Teleport. We built it for ourselves. And the early roadmap basically consisted of things that we needed to get done to uh, to operate as a company because our original business was 
these uh, portable Kubernetes clusters that you could move around as a kind of single file deployments. And for a while, we didn't even think that Teleport could be a product. We decided that we want to open source and then put it on GitHub strictly for recruiting purposes. We had two things going for us. First is that our entire code base was fresh, clean, written in Golang, and a lot of engineers appreciated that. But what we always felt that we couldn't offer is ability to work on open source. Because uh, some developers would say, like, I think I'm going to go to that company because I like to work on open source. And we decided we're just going to make open source free because it's not our core product. It's just a component of another product. And then we can claim that we do contribute to open source. So that's how launching, let's say, of Teleport happened. It just showed up on GitHub one day in a public repository uh, with extremely short couple of sentences, <laughs> readme file. And then things started to progress from there. So people noticed it. Someone reported the first bug. And then slowly, slowly, it, it wasn't it, by no means it was overnight success. But people started to notice and they started to like us. So the number of stars in GitHub started to grow and feature requests started to come in. And then we just had this idea, what if we say that you can pay for Teleport and then we implement the feature that you want? And funnily enough, we didn't really change our website, but in Teleport documentation and in the readme, we said that if you want Teleport Enterprise, uh, then just to reach out to uh, like sales at uh, goteleport.com. And that's how we started to get uh, customers who were willing to pay and they had feature requests. And again, we, we could do that because Teleport was not our primary product. We had our own roadmap, and then we had things that customers wanted, and we would only implement things that were on, on our roadmap anyway. So in other words, we continue to be extremely opinionated. And right now, by the way, it's giving us massive benefits because Teleport is just so far ahead versus computing solutions because it doesn't use any secrets, any passwords anywhere. It's a 100% certificate-based system for all protocols. But in the early days, it was not obvious. I think at some point, like one of Google... Uh, teams reached out to us. They wanted to use Teleport to access some network devices. They don't remember what they were. But they wanted us to support public-private keys for authentication. And believe it or not, we said no. We had like almost no revenue at the time, and Google is calling, and they want to purchase your product, but we said no. We will never do that, because we, it's really important for us to remain 100% certificate-based. And that's how it started to grow. So we continue to be extremely opinionated on how proper security and access needs to be implemented and used. But we use customer and user feedback uh, as a prioritization signal to figure out what to build next. I think it's extremely important for anyone trying to start a company is that you, you raise money and there's this pressure to start generating revenue right away. And oftentimes it means compromising on your original vision. And it's, it's, it's easy to get sidetracked and basically build a kitchen sink that maybe some early customers wanted, but no one else wanted. So the, uh, to not do that, you either have to raise a lot of money, so then you have um, a lot of coding in the cave and talking to potential customers' time, so you can, you can really, really nail what it's going to be. Or you could do what we did, and you could, and you could have another product, because we actually had revenue. Like, we were doing quite fine growing that Kubernetes solution, and that gave us plenty of time to figure out how access needs to look like in 2021, 22, and beyond. So, because initially it's just not obvious. Well, let's switch to team then. So, how did you go about building your team? And, and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you at Teleport? 
Look, at Teleporter was cheating because we <laughs> built another company prior to that. So they got acquired by Rackspace. So we had a fantastic opportunity not only to reach out to successful mailgun early employees and uh, co-founders and just like, hey, let's go do this again. But this time it's going to be like a million times bigger. And then we had additional luxury of going after like best people at Rackspace that were that we met uh, being part of Rackspace for three years. So again, massive uh, shortcut that maybe not all entre entrepreneurs can uh, take. But going back even to mailgun days, we did every, the, the same thing that other people, successful people in our shoes did. So you hire people with, like we, you have to pick co-founders that have complementary skills to yours. In our case, like myself, Sasha and Taylor, the three, like Sasha and myself, we are engineers, so we understand technology really well. And it helps to have two engineers, majority of founding team early on, because we could build a lot of things quickly without hiring people. So just uh, sitting and coding 24-7 gives you a lot of uh, advantage in the early days. But the difference is that Sasha is uh, more like a hardcore computer scientist, so he can go into a lot of these topics uh, much, much, much deeper, versus I am more of a generalist and a little bit of a salesperson and storyteller, which is also helps when you're doing customer research, like having conversations with potential users and constantly asking them deep technical questions to figure out how this technology might be used. Then we had Taylor, who would take care of things like early legal, finance, uh, like uh, setting up operation and it, basically there's just 80% of the company <clears throat> that is not writing code so that made three of us extremely um, self-sufficient for the first few months when we were just uh, getting some prototypes out and building our fundraising decks so yeah that's the criteria for picking uh, for building a, a founding team make sure you're all complementary and oh, yeah and you have to get along <laughs> that is a very obvious thing and and then when you do have your some cash in your checking account so you raise your seed round typically and i think it's a fairly common story you hire people who believe in you because most of the time it means that they have to take uh, some additional risk introduce this risk into their lives it probably means they're going to take a pay cut and um, and people who are willing to do that, they tend to be either our friends or people we worked with before. So they ha they trust you. They tr they trust actually. The trust issue ne never goes away. Even if you like scale the company, uh, uh, trust is the fundamental kind of grease that makes the entire machinery uh, operating. And it starts to work in the very early days, which comes to building your early kind of founding team. Well, let's flip to scalability. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one? Did, did Sasha build it? Did you build it? Did you design it? Or are you fighting this as you grow and gain traction? I will find myself bragging again. <laughs> but yes, we <laughs> built it extremely scalable since day one. But we do have a slightly maybe different definition of scalability. Because remember, Teleport was built for our use case. And our use case, and we really wanted to... Uh, figure out a way to make software run anywhere in the world by itself without active management, without supervision, to simplify computing. And, and, and this is why I use Tesla as a company as an example, because you always have to pick organizations that are kind of living in the future. You might have an argument that said that F, but like there are not that many people or companies that operate like Tesla. And I would say, look, back in the day, 
when Google was small, people would say, but there are not that many companies operating at Google scale. And now look around. You can actually find companies with 12, 15 engineers and they have 10,000 servers somewhere. So like that is changing fast. I'm pretty confident that soon more and more companies will be operating at Tesla scale. And we believe that the existing technology is like everything in DevOps space, the way how we do this DevOps kind of dirty sausage making, none of that will scale to this planetary size computing. Because if you have infrastructure all over, because you have the super tall tech stacks that get more and more complicated. So things have to be automated. And Teleport was built for that use case. And when I say that we have different definition of scalability, I primarily meant that Teleport was also meant to be extremely simple. So if you need to have this level of access uh, anywhere in the world, if you have thousands of devices, you just have to assume that some of those things are going to be servers, others are going to be embedded devices, they're going to be some drones. So then we designed Teleport to be a single binary. Like for us, we felt that's really definition of scale. So because if you're building this SaaS contraption that needs... It, that itself needs a giant tech stack to sit on top of. Yeah, sure, you can process a lot of traffic, but that is not scalable to me because reproducing that entire environment thousands and thousands of times, that's not scalable. Maybe that's not definition of scale that most DevOps engineers have in mind. But look, I have met companies that are, I, I probably cannot be using names, but I'm talking to people at some companies who admitted to me that if AWS shuts down uh, their eastern region. They said we will not be able to get our environment up and running. We've forgotten how to do that. We lost that institutional knowledge. That to me is not scalable. Okay? So, and that was the requirement for Teleport. That we wanted Teleport to feel like magic dust. It's a single binary. You put it on your infrastructure and you get these massive capabilities. And yes, you could deal with massive number of clients, massive number of servers, massive number of connections, but making your technology dead simple is absolutely a prerequisite for a scalability in my mind. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built with Teleport, what are you most proud of? So we're cloud native kids. Let's use that language. We, uh, we've been uh, coding on like Linux on ThinkPads since day one. So we always used Linux-based tools. We were one of the first companies to play with Docker and Kubernetes. So it was quite challenging for us to start answering questions from Windows users when they started to ask when Teleport technology is coming to Windows. And for a while, it was extremely tempting to say, you know what, never. <laughs> like we were totally prepared to just hide from this massive demand from the, from the Windows side of things. Uh, but then we realized, you know what, like most of the world east of Oakland runs on Windows. <laughs> you cannot ignore Windows. And it was quite scary because we were at this point already operating at certain scale and we had plenty of engineers and we had our practices and engineering culture. And now we need to start building Windows software. So that was uh, challenging. And you know what? We've, we actually did roll out support for RDP and Teleport can now be used to access Windows machines as well. And I'm proud of the fact that we pulled it off that we made some key hires who implemented these capabilities. And most importantly, we um, kind of integrated that into the, the, the company culture. And we are now this complete cross-platform capability. So for me, again, I said it was going to be a silly answer, but I was proud of it. 
Well, let's flip the script a little bit. So tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. I could offer you two answers here. On the business side, because I'm, I get a sense that uh, guests uh, here talk about this frequently. So in terms of building a company and growing as quickly as possible, there are just lots and lots of mistakes you can make. And the classic one, uh, it's classic in the sense that it's mentioned over and over again. Almost every entrepreneur talks about it uh, if, you, if you ask them. And plenty of business literature is written on it. And we still made it. This is why it's so um, embarrassing. It's the lack of focus. Notice how I mentioned multiple times that we used to have another product. So we basically, uh, for a long time, we had two products. We had this Kubernetes deployment system called Gravity and we had Teleport. And we, we always believed that Teleport is a solution that everyone should have. And for whatever reason, we, we operated for way too long having two products instead of just one. So not asking ourselves tough questions about what kind of company we want to build. Like, do we want to be an access company or we want to be a new type of deployment company? Because those are different companies. You cannot be both in the, like too early. Like later on, look at Microsoft. They started with basic interpreter and now they have everything. So eventually, sure. But in the early days, it helps to have a single product. And we, we stayed in this two product mode for too long. Um, look, it's, I can probably explain why we behaved this way because pr both products were selling. We're both growing. We had some really big customers who were using Gravity, which was the other product. But in the hindsight, I understand now that if we switched and became 100% teleport earlier, we probably could have been two, three times bigger by now if we did it. So that's a mistake on on the product side. I'm sorry, on, on the business side. And on the product side, the... The mistake I think that we made early on, you know what, let's just kind of scrap that because it was, we, we all retired all of our mistakes with gravity because when you're shutting down one of your two products, you can just take away all of your mistakes. So teleport in the, in the, in, in, in the way it exists today, it's pretty much mistake free. And when I talk to engineers, I oftentimes even say, hey, you want to join a company without any technical debt? Some of our engineers might disagree with me, but look, I'm an engineer myself. I look how engineering is done. And we we clearly had a chance to make sure that Teleport is indeed uh, as clean as possible. And so, yeah, I continue to use this line. We have extremely low level of technical debt. So come, come and join Teleport. Well, what does the future look like for Teleport, the product, and for your team? Let me step back a second and talk about what we feel the future is going to look like for all of us, because we need to occupy a certain place, a certain role we need to play into in, in that future. So one observation that we, uh, that we made looking at, it's, it's, it's especially telling if you look at the default behavior of engineers who are joining you straight out of college, because that's a new generation, that's a fresh blood. So they have all these uh, fresh ideas. And uh, I will use the language that I just recently developed for myself. So if it's unclear, please correct me. I noticed that they are acting like they're remote first engineers. And the difference from local host first is this. When, um, when I entered the, uh, in, like, the field and started working as a programmer, 
Like we used to build software on a laptop. It was a local process. Everything is on your laptop or your desktop, whatever. And then when you need to put it into a data center or in the cloud, essentially what you're doing, you're recreating your local host environment somewhere else and you're making it bigger. So that to me is like local host first development. And that's really why Docker became popular because Docker was built for that same generation of engineers. Like we would recreate our full environments on our laptops and then we will try to replicate them in the cloud. But these days with new generation of tooling, developers are now building things remotely since day one. So you are using cloud hosted databases. You like your code is on GitHub. You're deploying with GitHub actions. People using um, code editors that are hosted in a browser and they editing code that never even lands on your machine anymore. So this remote first orientation is the future. So that's one. Uh, that is one shift that we are observing. That we are going to be using cloud more and more, not just to run software but also to build software. The process of programming is moving online. And the second trend, which is also interesting, is because of complexity of computing environments ever increasing, and all these different components that your application uh, will either depend on or consist of, those components are scattered all over. Um, it is really important for all of these components to securely talk to each other. You have a one microservice that uh, goes to a database, gets some data out of there, then goes talks to another microservice, and that thing interacts with some external APIs and services. So, which means that the secure access is now becoming not just something for humans, but also for machines. Because what is access? Access is authentication, authorization, actually secure connectivity and audit. So those four things need to be in place, not just when computer uh, humans talking to machines, but also when machines are talking to machines. And that's the second trend that we believe that machines are now to go like they are going to do more and more heavy lifting so which means that machines need to adopt the best industry best remote access practices that currently only used by humans like one example is like what is an api key well that's a password didn't we already agree that passwords is a bad idea so why don't we take the exact same idea and apply it to software which means that we should stop using api keys right and replace them with something else and that is the future where teleport is going, that we want to create technology. Well, we are in the process of creating it that allows all humans and all machines to interact with each other and do uh, and do trusted computing, basically. And we also want to do it in a remote first fashion, that your local host environment doesn't matter at all. So uh, which basically means that I see teleport in the future as a secure and trusted message bus used by machines and humans to do basically computations. So the future is huge. It's massive. So teleport, I think, is going to be a big part of it. And what it means for our team, it means that we should, should not think of ourselves as a security company. Because remember, if you are sure, secure, like being a secure message bus for the entire internet is really, really important. But it's not just security as the only benefit. You also, we need to make sure that our solution feels native and awesome and easy to use and pleasant to Kubernetes users, to database people, to uh, Linux hackers, to Windows professionals, to machine learning researchers, to all of these people who need computing resources. So, which means that user experience, um, the quality of user interface, not just the security, all of these things are important. So we 
so we need to build ourselves as a platform company moving on, not just as a security play. And it only makes sense because when we interact with our users who use Teleport, Kubernetes people believe that we are, and we are, so they believe correctly, that we're Kubernetes security experts. Um, Linux uh, developers, they believe that we are Linux kernel security gurus. So which means that we need to acquire this expertise across uh, this extremely wide spectrum of technologies that are being used today. Let's switch to you, Ed. Who influences the way that you work? Name a CEO, a CTO, an architect, really any person that you look up to and why. I usually pay attention to people who, in addition to having opinions uh, and strong opinions, also are not shy presenting their thought frameworks. So people who think in terms of frameworks is who I usually pay attention to. And I like I wouldn't give you like a specific name or two, like, yeah, I subscribe to philosophy of these people, but I can share my approach that I seek thinking frameworks. And uh, you could definitely see uh, like the framework in, again, I'm not gonna surprise anyone if I mention people like Steve Jobs or even George Soros, like the way he thinks about this, like what is the concept that he uh, like constantly is referring to is the, the feedback loop. Like there is no such thing as input and output. Like the principle of ref uh, reflection, that is what he uh, referred to in, in his thinking, which means that whatever it is you're doing, you influencing the outcome, but the outcome itself becomes input in, in, in another cycle. That is the kind of thinking and advice I'm gravitating to. And the reason uh, for that is because it gives you the it allows you to keep asking why, 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 and always get an answer. You know how interacting with kids and they ask you a question, they give them an answer and they ask why, and you ask why. So if you give them a framework, then these whys, they go away. They can go and figure this all out. So that is just something that I gravitate towards that. Well, okay, we talked about a mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? I would probably consider building a developer experience team a little bit sooner. So when I say developer experience, the activity that I'm referring to is what some other companies call uh, sometimes DevRel. Like engineers who are educating other engineers on how to use certain technology. Because we adopted this kind of strange sequential approach that first we are going to build this technology, then we're going to use early adopters, early users uh, to make sure that is it is indeed something that other people want and willing to pay money for. And then we'll get to evangelizing and we will start explaining it. And um, from there, you could basically see it's like how some of the things we've done, we've done too late. The quality of documentation in the early days was not that great. Uh, to this day, I, we, we're not really frequent... Uh, presenters at different conferences so only now we're starting to realize that in a world where there is a lot of new tech that seemingly excites you in the early days is coming out every day so it all gets perceived as noise so being better at and being actually more approachable uh, educating other other engineers on security best practices on productivity cost by the way of uh, improperly set up access systems. So all of these things we should have done sooner. And some companies actually are doing it right. They start educating before 
the product is actually ready. Uh, maybe Docker is a great example. They had some really early demos where Docker was basically a toy and they were already showing everyone what the future might look like and it was exciting. Yes, it took them a while for Docker actually to mature to becoming that tool, but I do believe it's it's just a better approach because even if you, like you might fail on the technology side, but sharing ideas early and interacting with community more frequently and having higher quality conversation, it invites other people to dream with you, contribute to your dreams. I do believe that actually leads to better products in the end. So if I were to compress my rambling, I would say like we spent too much time coding in a cave. Uh, sure, we were talking to potential customers, but I wish we would have interacted more with the community. Well, last question, Ev. So you're getting on a plane, and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it to the world. They can't wait to show it to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road a bit multiple times? I would share the advice that I received from one of my Combinator uh, partners, uh, Paul Buchheit where he said, Ev, listen to advice, but remember that everyone's advice is just over-generalization multiplied by limited personal experience. I loved it so much because um, it allows you to very quickly see, if you, especially if you, if you see, can receive a lot of advice, that it's actually, there could be conflicted pieces of advice. So don't pay, don't pay too much attention to, um, to what other people think about your business, that Advice has a certain shape and form, so you cannot copy-paste it from one company to another. But most importantly, too, it has an expiration date. And in today's technology world, all advice gets obsolete very quickly. Not just technology advice, even advice on how to run marketing, sales, almost anything. And the reason I like that is because it, it will take care of your anxiety a little bit. Because it's easy to be overwhelmed by advice that either doesn't make sense or is not compatible with something else you've heard. So just keep that in mind. Every advice is just some random person's opinion. Absolutely. Well, Ev, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Teleport. Thanks for having me. I had a good time. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just 5 to 10 bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.